This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And we're back again, again. What in the world is this? You've already listened to the Lake Kick Extra podcast this week. How is this popping up in your feed? Well, it's popping up because, as you can hear there, we had to get a little slap on the wrist. We just went too long. And so we couldn't fit all the content that we actually recorded into Wednesday's podcast. So as I said, on Thursday night's Late Kick Live on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, we got to roll it over. So we got some bonus content here. I am Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. For those unaware, this is where we do sort of a free-flowing mailbag Q&A type format, very relaxed, very laid back, very open, anything and everything you want to know in the world of college football, we hit it here. JoshPate706 at gmail.com is one way you can get at me. At Late Kick Josh on Twitter is another way. We really love if you comment in the podcast review section itself. We've gotten a ton of five-star reviews from you guys, and we always ask that you do that. It takes two seconds. It's free. What's well, not to love? And when you write a review, include a question there. That's a sure way that we'll get to it. And you can also comment on the actual 27 or 24-7 Sports YouTube channel in the comment section under any episode of Late Kick Live that we do. I always pin a comment there, and you can reply to it with any question that you want. So without further ado, let's dive right back in. This is part two, never before heard, part two of this week's Late Kick Extra podcast. Enjoy. Audio Ghost in the YouTube comment section. Josh, what in your opinion is the best rivalry in college football? I'm partial to Army versus Navy. Yeah, I love Army-Navy. Army-Navy I set in a different classification. Army-Navy is never going to decide a college football playoff spot. Army-Navy is big for very unique reasons unto anything else, and I love it. It is appointment viewing for me. I've never been to the game. I want to try and change that this year. I've said that the last three years, so we'll see how that turns out this year. Outside of that, Michigan-Ohio State's the big one for me. Now, this is very, very controversial where I'm from uh, because I've been to every Iron Bowl since 2013, I want to say, in, in a, a media capacity. And there's no environment like that. But at the same time, when you say best, what matters the most? What matters the most is when you put two national brand names on the field together and you mix in a, a healthy dose of hatred. Now, you do have that in Michigan, Ohio State. The reason I've always placed that game above Bama-Auburn, the Iron Bowl, on the list of greatest rivalry games is because in the Iron Bowl, you have one national brand and one regional brand, whereas Michigan, Ohio State are both national brands. And that's really all it comes down to. Michigan, Ohio State just matters to more people than Alabama versus Auburn does. I mean, I don't think that's that controversial, but trust me. I grew up in the deep South. So I say that and they say, what you're telling me it's more rabid. I didn't say it was more rabid. I didn't say it was more fierce. Both of these rivalries are rabid, fierce. The iron bowl setting is unique to anything in college football. 
amazing. If you haven't lived really in that, you don't understand it. They're right when they say that. They're absolutely dead on the money. But when you say biggest or you say best, well, then that brings some more qualifiers in. And that's why I've always leaned Michigan, Ohio State. Jared on YouTube, you've said before there's a difference between skill and talent. What do you define as each of those? And number two, how did you decide the name Late Kick? Uh, that's Jared on YouTube. Late Kick was just kind of, I was sitting around and it came to me. I think I may have been thinking about a logo and thinking about a name. And I wanted a nighttime feel. I knew I wanted to do the show at night. And I wanted to brand it as a night show. And so I thought about shows that are at night, a lot of the, like the late night shows. And so you got the late show. And I thought, well, how about late kick? It also is synonymous with how you term the games that kick off at night. You got the early kickoff, the mid-afternoon kickoff, and then you got the late kickoff. So I just called the show the late kick. It was kind of a play on a couple of different, couple of different things there. As for skill and talent, well, skill is like a chunk of Play-Doh. You can have skill all day long. Well, no, let me back up. Talent is like the chunk of Play-Doh. You can have talent, just like I can pour a lump of Play-Doh out of its container, probably lick it. I know you guys, I know you love that smell, and I know you may love the taste. None of us have ever tasted Play-Doh in front of anyone, but pretty much every one of us has tasted Play-Doh at some point. I, I feel the same about the smell of gasoline, but I'm moving on now. So the chunk of Play-Doh is talent. How you mold it, that's the skill. You got a lot of talent, man. Folks can get talent. It's the skill. That's what it hopefully transitions into. But there is a lot of design in turning talent into skill. That's why it's not good enough to just recruit. It's imperative that you recruit the talent, just like it's imperative you buy the Play-Doh. Like, I can't make a little dinosaur unless you give me the chunk of Play-Doh. However, just give me the chunk of Play-Doh doesn't guarantee that I'm going to be able to make the little blue brontosaurus. I challenge you to find me a better description of talent versus skill than one that includes the word brontosaurus and admissions of tasting Play-Doh. Tani, feel free to clip that one. Luke, on YouTube, what's your take on LSU commit Garrett Nussmeyer? This is the quarterback commitment there. Uh, about a month or so ago, I don't know, what is time these days anyway? Recently, semi-recently he committed. He is a good talent, a good mental makeup, good tools, a good improviser. You know, ever, since Joe Burrow was there, everyone wants a quarterback who can improvise, make plays on the run, make plays when everything breaks down, and he's got those traits. The only concern I would have about Nussmeyer is in a size standpoint, I wonder about his frame. Like, is he filled out as much as he's going to fill out? This is not a guy who's going to, three years into his college career, be 6'3", 230. Uh, this is not one of those guys. This is a guy who's going to struggle to stay over 205, 200, 205. Now, you can win like that. You don't have to be built like a, you know, a, a Mack truck, but it helps. And so that's kind of, if you were to ask a concern, that's the main concern I have. He's a really good talent, though. Make no mistake about that. Doug, on Twitter, what do you think happens in the Longhorns' backfield this year at running back? You got Ingram, you got Rashawn Johnson, Bijan Robinson coming in, lots of options and avenues. Yeah, Keontae Ingram, the only thing I worry about with him is health and consistency. Um, I mean, if you can guarantee me a healthy season, then I feel fine with him. 
those three, if you've got those three, Bijan Robinson, there's no reason not to think he's going to be a stud. That's one of the best running back stables in the country. And it greatly helps Sam Ellinger, um, who feels like he's entering his ninth year at quarterback at Texas. But here's what I love about them. They are excellent receivers. They're really good. We're going to talk about LSU's backs in a little while. And, you know, a guy like John Emery, who was, you know, all world, everyone thought he was going to take the backfield by storm, including me as a true freshman at LSU. He didn't. He struggled in pass pro and he struggled receiving out of the backfield. Well, that's not something that you say about the Texas backs. Health maybe, but they are very good receivers and that adds a different element. And it gives them an element that really not a lot of other programs in that conference have, along with the requisite physicality and ability to pick up pass pro too. Samar, we're going international here. Love the show. I've subscribed to the pod and the YouTube live all the way from New Zealand. Thank you, Samar. Question, USC has their hashtag, take back the West, and looks to be trending to pick up Corey Foreman. Uh, this question was a couple of weeks ago, by the way. I missed it, so um, that's a slap on the wrist for me. Corey Foreman, though, USC still in the mix. Georgia, LSU, we'll see how that turns out. If Larry Scott <laughs> – keep in mind, this is a question about USC. If Larry Scott doesn't screw up again, is Southern Cal the best bet to win a title in the Pac-12, or is it Oregon with Cristobal, or does Washington have a better chance? Larry Scott is not the head coach at Southern Cal. He is the commissioner of the Pac-12. The reason I laugh is because if you stub your toe on a Pac-12 campus out there, Larry Scott is to blame. Like if, it, if you go outside and you're trying to get some sun tomorrow – on the campus of UCLA and it's overcast, it's Larry Scott's fault. And I know why. I know what the joke is and there's some truth behind it, but I just always <laughs> I just find it funny. Like this is a question about how Southern Cal is going to do this year and Samora flat out says, if Larry Scott doesn't screw it up. So um, let's just say Larry Scott does not screw up USC football this year. No, no, I don't think they're the favorite. I just got serious in a hurry. I don't think they're the favorite uh, certainly not outside of the realm of possibility, and they have star potential at quarterback. And what have we learned recently in college football? Don't you ever count out anyone. I don't know if it's even so recent, but don't count out anyone who has that potential. Keaton Slovis has that potential. What certainty is there around Southern Cal? You guys know better than I do. You know your program better than I do. What kind of footing does it feel like the program's on? Hey, I've been impressed after the woeful job they did on the recruiting trail last year and the kind of the way that the legs felt like they've been cut out from under Clay Helton, even keeping his job, they've got a good recruiting class. They're putting together this cycle. They're top 10 right now, as a matter of fact, in the 24 seven sports team ranking. So that's impressive. But if I got to lean away in the PAC 12 right now, I'd lean Oregon. Now, having said that, it's going to be a very, very unpredictable conference this year because Oregon may have many things. They're not established at quarterback. And so I never in any conference endorse a team overwhelmingly where I've got somewhat of a question mark at quarterback. So certainly Southern Cal is in that mix. Jason on Twitter, you've made it clear on your stance about expanding the college football playoff. And what he means is I do not support expansion. However, it's still likely to happen. Um, I agree with that, Jason. I don't have to like it, but I agree with it. Jason continues, what would the ideal way to do it be? Also, a lot of people complain about the bowl games not meaning anything anymore. Is there a way to fix that? 
like having all Power Five conference champs receive auto bids to bowl games, like Pac-12 versus Big Ten in the Rose Bowl, then picking the best four teams for a playoff, not using bowls. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts, like you said, are don't expand. And then my thoughts, if we expand, are um, no auto bids for playoff teams. And basically that means you're not guaranteed a spot just because you win your conference. You will never, ever, ever get me to agree to that. However, here's what I question. You said, Jason, a lot of people say this. You just kind of vocalized it for the, for, I don't know if they're the majority or not, but a lot of people do say, you're right, that bowl games don't mean anything. Well, they do to me. And they do to a lot of people judging by TV numbers. Like uh, Alabama, Michigan, I was at that game in January, New Year's Day, Citrus Bowl. It's not a New Year's Six game. It's not a playoff game. That not, the, the TV number on that game was insane. Uh, it seems a lot of people cared about it. And there were a lot of guys who had nothing to gain, supposedly, from playing in the game who played in it. So who does the game not mean anything to? Um, I just always, just because something gets repeated a lot, I don't know if it's always true. Now, it may be that bowl games mean less in relation to what they used to mean, but I don't think that you can add a playoff and keep the same significance in the bowls. You gotta, you can't just keep and get. You got to give to get sometimes. That's, that's the nature of, of the world. It's the nature of the universe. And so why should college football be any different? So I think probably my ideal setup is uh, here's one fairly, I guess I would call it a radical idea that I've heard. I don't know how this would work, so don't ask me to think it through to a logical conclusion. But the way to keep the playoff and also maintain the integrity of the bowl structure has been keep the regular season and then play the bowl season out and then select the playoff using the bowl season as part of the metrics that you use to determine the playoff field. I know you just came up with 47 questions. I've got them too. But if you can figure that out, hypothetically, that maintains the sanctity of your bowl season before we ever know who's going to make the playoff. So, Again, don't ask me to go any further into detail. It's not my idea. Hunter, how would you rank the SEC football uniforms? I'm not going one through 14 because that'll just make people mad. I'm going to go one through three. This is not scientific. I like Alabama for the same reason I like Penn State. I like Tennessee for the same reason I like Penn State. I like Georgia for the same reason I like Penn State. They look the same today as they did in 1632, and that's what I like about college football at least when it comes to uniforms. Let me be very clear. At least when it comes to uniforms. Some other things, I'm okay with change. But uniforms, keep them the same. Mike on Twitter, I had a question about Ohio State. I hope you can answer in one of your future vids or podcasts. Well, you come to the right place, Mike. It seems few teams have as much hype surrounding them heading into 2020 as Ohio State. Understandably so, following a great 2019. But if we somehow fall short of expectation this year, what do you expect the downfall to be? What weaknesses or flaw do you see? Well, Mike, you don't have to have weaknesses or flaws to not win a national championship. I don't think Ohio State had many flaws last year. Do you? I just think they it's the margins are so thin when you get into the playoff. You could be a really, really good team and lose. Um, if you're asking me maybe what areas, I, certainly running back depth comes to mind. Uh, J.K. Dobbins was a phenomenal player for them. 
Master Teague, you got the injury there. And so Trey Sermon transfers in from Oklahoma behind him. There aren't many proven names. Uh, maybe defense takes a step back, losing guys like um, Chase Young and Okuda. But they've got tons of guys to step in. Now, having a ton of names versus having proven production, we all know is uh, two separate things. So you lose you know, a, a coaching presence on the defensive side too, but you add one that you really feel good about. We'll see. I'm not saying you have to have a weakness to not win a national championship. I mean, maybe you're a strong team and another strong team beats you. Daniel on Twitter, who do you think will be LSU's front runner for the running back position this year? Chris Curry is the most experienced of this group. Remember he started the Peach Bowl over Edwards Alaire? And uh, it kind of raised an eyebrow or two, but it really didn't because he had injury concerns there. Now, Tyrion Davis-Price is the guy with the most production and the guy I think is most impressive to see run because he's terrifying. And John Emery is the most talented. Now, Emery, I mentioned it a few minutes ago, struggled in pass pro last year, not the best receiver out of the backfield. He was the guy I thought was going to take over as a true freshman, and he didn't. Well, LSU fans know this. I don't know if nationally you guys know. He was blind in one eye. Essentially, he was legally blind in one eye. So they get him LASIK surgery in the offseason. Now, people at LSU say that this has been a night and day difference. And, um, I mean, if I listen, if I turn on the TV and all of a sudden John Emery is running for 170 a game and adding on another 45 receiving yards per game, um, LASIK surgery – is something that maybe even I'll pull the trigger on. I have avoided LASIK surgery. I have terrible vision. I am borderline legally blind in each eye. Thank goodness for contacts. Like, what if I lived in, in 1380? What would I do? I don't know. I think about that stuff way too often. So I have not gotten LASIK. Here is my general thinking on LASIK. When it comes to something as important as your eyesight, I want to give corrective surgeries at least 30 years. Just get them 30 years, get all the kinks worked out, and then I'll get it. Because I don't have a problem right now. I can put contact lenses in, in probably borderline Guinness world record amounts of time. I can take them in, put them out with, with one finger. So it's not a hindrance to my lifestyle. I don't feel them. I don't care. But if I want to save like a combined 49 seconds per day, yeah, LASIK probably, eventually, we'll see. Uh, let's move on. Metcalf 12 on the YouTube channel. Who do you think will be the best wide receiver in college football in 2020? The answer is Jalen Waddle at Alabama. That's my answer there. I think that Waddle may be the best college football player in 2020. Having said that, the quarterback position being what it is, maybe I need to say the best non-quarterback in college football in 2020. I think it'll be Jalen Waddle. Um, you know, I also think about this. I'm going to talk about it more as the season gets closer. I wonder, let's say Mac Jones is the starter for Alabama, which takes away a lot of the mobility threat that you may have there with Bryce Young. I would love to see a prop bet in Vegas of an over-under of direct snaps to Jalen Waddle. Waddlecat has a nice ring to it, and he certainly has enough explosiveness, and I think that would be a part of their offense you got to get the ball in his hands. That was what always frustrated me about up until the very end of his career, the way they handled Kenyon Drake. It's like you look at Kenyon Drake before his injury, 
and you look at how talented he is and it's why in the world does he not have the ball in his hands more? Well, then they put the ball in his hands and he ran all over people. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Oh, Bud Elliott reference. Here we go. And I know for a fact he listens. Hello, Budrick. Uh, Recently, I heard Bud Elliott comment he thought no team would score 30 on Georgia's defense in the entire 2020 regular season. Do you agree or would you take the field? And which teams, in your opinion, could score 30 on Georgia's defense? I agree with him, actually. The only shot I see of of someone scoring 30 on Georgia's defense. Notice he didn't say scoring 30 points. Scoring 30? On Georgia's defense, the only team in their regular season that's got a shot at doing that to me is Alabama. That's week three. That's on the road at Tuscaloosa. Outside of that, um, someone may score 31 on Georgia. They aren't going to be 31 offensive points unless there is a rash of injuries, the likes of which no one could foresee coming. Georgia's defense, I believe, will be the best in the country this year. That's my feeling on them. Um, so I don't know. But then it's by the same token, do you need to score 30 on them to beat them? What are they going to be offensively? Everyone's got a question or several questions here. Uh, how do we do this? Yeah, there we go. Okay. How much time do you take to prep for your Q&As or is it all off the cuff? And if it's not off the cuff, would a live Q&A podcast be something most or few insiders such as yourself would entertain? Well, I would love that. I believe live podcasting is sort of the next wave in this medium. It, not that it doesn't exist already. I think it's going to be huge soon. Just like the ability to go live on YouTube is huge now. Facebook Live. Those are big. That Something that didn't exist a decade ago. Um, as for prep, zero prep. It's 100% off the cuff. I've, you know, the way I look at it is if I were to go Jay is next up. Jay has the next question. If Jay and I were to go to lunch, would I prepare to go to lunch with him? Like, would I prepare? Would I ask him for his comments in advance and prepare? I feel the same about interviews, by the way. I, I don't prepare for them. I know that sounds irresponsible. That's not what I mean. I am prepared. I make sure I am prepared. I make sure I'm well read on things. I don't have a a, a skeleton full of bullet points and notes and everything that I want to say in every question. I don't do it that way. And the reason, and the reason why I asked if I would go to lunch with you that way is because all I'm doing is having a conversation. Do you feel like right now, do you feel how relaxed this is? If you're riding around in your truck or, you know, you're on your lawnmower or you're laying in bed, I don't know what you're doing and you're listening. Does it sound like I'm talking to you or with you? I know you can't talk back. Oh, some of you probably do yell back at me, but that's how it should feel. We are not solving nuclear equations. We're talking about college football. So to me, I've always been more comfortable with less preparation. I want to give you as authentic a response as I would, like I said, if you and I were sitting at lunch together. And if you're not capable of doing that, what are you doing in this line of work? Has been my retort to anyone who says you need to prepare more. Um, as long as you guys like the content, I'll keep doing it that way. And as for interviews, you know, it's the same general philosophy. Do I want to be tossing a bunch of questions to someone or do I want to be talking to someone? And I've always, you know, I think, um, this week in our social distance series, I think Brandon Marcello did a great job of this. 
you go and listen to his interview with Paul Feinbaum. Take how you feel about Feinbaum out of the equation. Go watch the conversational tone and tenor that that interview took. That's not having a list of questions in front of you. He may have had an idea of where he wanted to go. That was just conversation that you happen to voyeuristically be able to watch. Those are the best interviews. And to me, those are the best sort of mailbag podcast formats. So that's how we do that. And that's why we do that. Uh, Jay, also, I know recruitment and skill development of elite players are both vital to programs becoming elite. But for conversation's sake, which would you put more stock in as it relates to programs winning championships? Recruiting. And um, it's not all recruiting. But you tell me what you would rather take your chances with. Would you rather load up a roster full of high four-star and five-star talent and take your chances on whether you can develop them? Or would you rather load up your roster on third and fourth tier options and then maximize their potential? What do you think gives you a better chance to win at a high level? I think the option A probably gives you a better chance. So they're both important. They're both, you can't, in fact, you're not going to win a national championship with all of either of these. You got to be able to do both. I would lean 70% in the recruiting department and then 30% in the development department if I have to skew one way or the other. Uh, Braid, email. How big of a gap is there between Oregon and the rest of the Pac-12? Do you think it'll continue for multiple years? Who's the biggest challenger? Oh, no, that's Poppy Spence. Excuse me. Yeah, Poppy Spence. I don't think there's a huge gap, but I think that Oregon is in the process potentially of emerging. They have to, like we said earlier, you, you cannot have a big gap between you and anyone if you don't have a star quarterback. You can have a gap. You, you're not creating a, a wide gap by default unless you have a stud quarterback. You know, if you take Trevor Lawrence away from Clemson, Clemson is still the best team in the ACC. They're not 10 miles ahead of everyone if they're average at quarterback. If you're average at quarterback, you're vulnerable. So the margin for error greatly decreases. You're vulnerable. Um, Having said that, and I've talked about this before, the style that Oregon is going about building their roster with is different than anyone else in the Pac-12. That's what stands out to me about them. Their biggest challenger is either, well, depending on how you feel about Jimmy Lake at Washington, I don't know how I feel yet. I do know that they've got a high-caliber quarterback of their own coming in, in Mr. Heward, and let's keep an eye on him. But outside of that, you've always got to have your eye on USC. And if it's not with Clay Helton, then it's with whoever comes in after Clay Helton. And then as soon as you say that, like Kyle Whittingham comes out of nowhere and probably wins the Pac-12 at Utah. Uh, now we go to Braid in the email inbox. How do you feel about Miami football? It, oh, here's the question. Is the uh, swag back? Well, no, it's not back, Braid. That's the answer to the first question. Then he continues. There's a midseason stretch this year where they have like six straight games that could easily be one possession. They could go five and seven or 11 and one. Which do you think it will be? I think it'll be somewhere in the middle. I thought they had a great chance last year, even if it was early, very early, obviously, in, in Mandy Diaz's tenure. I thought they had a good chance with the way their schedule set up last year. Remember, they had Florida in that week zero game in Orlando, and it was a turnover fest. Like they had a shot to win that. If they won that game, there was a chance looking at their schedule, they could run off a string of games. And they could probably not be as good as their final record would indicate, but their final record 
could be really good. Like they could have pushed double digit wins last year, except that they didn't and they let the wheels fall off. And I don't know. Now, granted, you have a much different presence at quarterback with Eric King this year, but that roster has to come a long way too. And so 11 and one, five and seven, probably seven and five. I mean, that's probably where I land, but understanding, yeah, there's a lot of, of seesaw games there. Dan, in the email inbox, who has the best and worst fight song? Now, I have no clue who has the worst fight song. I've always been partial to USC's fight song. I also, depending on which day you catch me on, like Tennessee's fight song, I just wish they wouldn't play it so much. Like Dreams by Fleetwood Mac is my favorite song of all time. But I don't play it seven times a day because I don't know what that would do to my perception of Dreams by Fleetwood Mac. And if you look that song up, by the way, listen to the 2002 remastered version on YouTube. Uh, For those of you who are uh, younger than being born in the 80s like me, just go to Spotify and you'll get the right version. But um, yeah, USC, and I'll tell you what, not even the USC fight song, the song they play, I don't know what you call this, but the song they play on the field pregame, you know, when the uh, Trojan mascot puts the sword in the ground, then they turn, they start their march. That song, that one, that's my favorite one. I don't think that's the fight song, is it? But I really like that one. The funny thing about fight songs, obviously they don't have words. So for those of you who used to play the video game, you have all of them in your head. Like if you're like me and you just said Michigan fight song, I could not tell you what Michigan's fight song is. But as soon as you start it, I could hum every part of it. Ohio State, Alabama, like it's all the same. I know all of them, but I don't know which compartment they go in in my mind until you start them because I don't know how to classify them. That's how my mind works with, um, <laughs> with fight songs. I'm trying to scroll back up because there was a really long question I skipped over. And there it is. Okay. Uh, this is David in the email inbox. Contrary to the predictions and hopes of many in the college football world, I believe we may be about to see another wave of Alabama dominance. I don't see the tide settling into a role as one of the best. I feel even less likely that they'll decline as a program. How, let's see, uh, how would a team like Bama improve? Through groundbreaking innovation and feels like sports science? Check. By creating a new type of defensive roster where players are recruited and trained based more on their athleticism than on-field position? Check. I'm going to come back to that. And by reintegrating their old-school multi-pronged running attack around a dynamic quarterback who can accurately spread the ball to highly skilled receivers to be determined, but all signs point to check. Yeah, all the stuff you're saying, I agree with. Like, I think Alabama's going to be insane this year. And I think they're going to be insane the next couple of years. The sports science aspect of this, the strength and conditioning aspect of this, it's still early. But talking to some people at Alabama, I don't think I've heard reviews as good universally about replacing an institution there like Scott Cochran uh, in a long time as I have about the combination of Dr. Matt Ray and David Ballou there. Now, what do you know? They haven't even put on pads yet. I know all that. Ultimately, I want to know how healthy they can remain. But just the ways that LSU sort of garnered an edge in the SEC West, I'm not going to say LSU is losing that ability. I'm saying it's no longer going to be an edge that it was for a year at least. Alabama, man, what they're doing is strength science and conditioning is about to be right back at the forefront of the game. And it had dipped precipitously for quite a while there. But the second thing 
is Bryce Young comes in at quarterback. I don't know if he starts this year, but he's there. He will be a superstar. He will do for them what Tua Tonga-Vailoa did. He'll give them that ability level. Let me say that. He'll give them that ability level at quarterback. Uh, They're loading up again on receiver in this recruiting cycle. They loaded up on dynamic edge rushers in last recruiting cycle, along with a guy like Tim Smith, who was a five-star option from out of Florida. So they're loading up at linebacker this cycle. They, they will have a very good defensive backhaul this cycle. I don't know where anyone's looking and saying, ooh, Bama's slipping. The only place that you could be looking at Alabama realistically and saying they're slipping is in your treasure chest of wishes. Now, you may be comparing Alabama to a different standard and saying they're slipping. We're comparing them to the rest of the sport. That's how this works. It's college football. I mean, you're not Alabama's not playing themselves from 2012 or whatever. So, yeah, I don't think they're going anywhere. I think you're absolutely right, David. I, I think it's far more likely uh, that they are uh, going to contend for championships the next several years than the fact that they're not or the idea that they're not going to. All right, let's move on here. Uh, Dylan, in the email inbox, there's a lot of competition in the Big Ten. Now, we, Ohio State, have been pretty dominant for the past couple of years with Urban at the head and with Ryan Day now stepping up and Michigan State losing D'Antonio. With that happening, what is your assessment on the competition in terms of coaching, roster, and recruitment? You mentioned a couple times about Franklin and Penn State being right there with Ohio State, Michigan struggling with quarterback recruitment. Could you expand on some of those thoughts? Well, let me – if I said Penn State's right there with Ohio State, what I meant is they've been more competitive. There's a gap in the rosters. That much is apparent. There is a gap in the coaching staffs. Now, this is where it gets a little a little tricky. I think Ryan Day is a star. Pretty much everyone of, of reputable opinion thinks Ryan Day is a star. However, do we definitively know that? I guess we don't until he's got five years under his belt. So, okay, I'll give you that. Like, If, if you want to do one of those for argument's sake sort of deals, yeah, James Franklin's got a more proven track record than Ryan Day. The only reason we're saying that is because we can't hit the fast forward button to five years from now. Five years from now, I think there's no question Ryan Day's one of the best head coaches in America. I don't think there's a question now, but you'll have the resume to back it up then. As we always say, the sport does not sit still. And so people will adjust. Penn State will adjust. Michigan will adjust. And again, I say, when you look at the world of recruiting, I'm going to get into this a lot more, but there is something on the horizon in the, in the Department of Name, Image, and Likeness and what it's going to do in recruiting. And there is the idea that it is going to take Ohio State, which is already in a level above anyone else in their conference, and it's going to put them on a rocket ship that takes them into an orbit that no one else can ever approach because of the built-in advantages that they'll have once it's legal for a law firm to partner with a recruit and pay them $30,000 a semester once a shoe company can do this or that, it's going to be good for Ohio State. Trust me, it's going to be great for them. I don't think that's the only program it's going to be great for. That's all I'm saying. And so, ironically, some programs that are struggling to close the gap with Ohio State. Now, what if I told you that the name, image, and likeness legislation that is coming down the pike and the doors that that's going to open – What if I told you it's going to make the sport more competitive instead of less competitive? I think that's a good place to wrap things up this week, don't you? Again, 
I thank you guys so much for these five-star reviews. If you haven't already given us one, it's very easy. It's free. Click that five stars and then give us a written review. The best way to get your question answered on this podcast is to submit a question in the written review portion. You can also hit me up, joshpate706 at gmail.com. Follow me on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. We're active on there. I talk to you guys on there all week. And last but certainly not least, our flagship show, for the Late Kick brand at least, is Late Kick Live. It is on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. It is, again, free. I ask that you subscribe there. We do it live on Thursday nights and Sunday nights at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. And I hope to see you there. Until next week, this has been really fun. I've got to go find a new voice to use tomorrow. Until then, appreciate you guys listening. Have a great rest of your week. God bless.